0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm your host, Ciara Minova, and today's discussion will be on the urban environment and how it can have an impact on our mental health. Our guest today is Dr. Ioannis Bakolis, who has done some amazing work in the field of health and urbanicity. His interest lies in understanding how social and built environments impact our mental well-being, for example, through understanding air, noise, and traffic pollution, as well as neighborhood deprivation, which are all things that we'll be talking about today. Dr. Bacolis is a senior lecturer at King's College London teaching biostatistics and epidemiology at the IOPPN, which is the Institute of Psychiatry and Psychology and Neuroscience, And he has also held his PhD at Imperial College London, where he conducted research there as well. Dr. Bacolos, a very, very warm welcome to you. And thank you so much for being here.
1: Hello. uh, Thank you very much uh, for inviting me and for your kind uh, words in in the intro.
0: Thank you. So to start off, I want to mention how, you know, when we think about our mental health, We usually relate it to psychological issues, right, Um, like in social contexts, such as family dynamics, childhood traumas, relationships, possibly, you know, genetics as well. But we never really go towards pollution as a cause, you know, effect or correlation uh, on our mental well-being, So let's start off with actually defining what we mean by an urban environment and why is the study of urbanization so important, and especially today, and are there certain aspects of it which can be problematic in relation to our mental health
1: Yes, so urbanization as a concept is is uh, is, is a relatively recent cultural phenomenon. We, we start as anthropologically we start, um, you know, like this form of urbanization as uh, as a population about ten thousand years ago when we moved from being hunter gatherer societies to more intense agricultural uh, societies with central governments mm-hmm. within that. So cities have been on the rise, and almost fifty five percent of the world's populations live now in in urban areas, and is uh, and is expected like further urbanization is. Is expecting to happen in the forthcoming uh, years, and uh, there are good reasons for uh, for us living in the cities. I mean, like there's no everything is bad around our our cities. There's more opportunities. There's more job opportunities and more actual mm-hmm. access to uh, cultural events. Uh, more access to healthcare. However, I mean, there, there are some, uh, some adverse aspects of that. And one of these adverse aspects that you highlight is uh, its relations between herbal living and, uh, and mental health. And this goes back up to uh, the 1930s, uh, which was one of the first studies that actually explored, explored that link. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are different type of um, of of hypotheses that we have uh, in regards to why this is happening for example uh, we could pick up from the uh, from the attention restoration theory where urban life taxes on co- cognitive resources and also into mean, more stre- to the more stress reduction theory that uh, usually environmental stress or urban stressors could affect um, our our mental health through kind of more inflammation pathways mm-hmm. uh, in regards to that and there are quite certain social characteristics, such as, let's say, high population density of uh, where we're living or low social cohesion and high socioeconomic deprivation. This is kind of social factors that we have um, that they have been linked with, uh, with mental health, but also physical characteristics. I know we touched upon uh, air pollution. However, is the lack of uh, green spaces or the lack of access to green spaces as well, we, can, we could consider, and other urban stressors, for example, uh, environmental noise.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you've done works on some of the social aspects of urban environments. For example, one of them was neighborhood deprivation, which I believe looks at the physical and social features in the neighborhood. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what exactly neighborhood deprivation is and what the certain characteristics are as well. Yes so of
1: course deprivation is is a quite a wide concept especially in 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 a in a, in a neighborhood context that the definitions could uh, could vary depending on which research group you might be talking to mm-hmm. uh, however living in a disadvantaged area um, could have an impact on mental health via uh, scarcity of community resources for example such as such as access, let's say, to, um, to healthcare services, uh, or from uh, built environment exposures. For example, such as air pollution that we mentioned, or from other uh, urban st- or other neighbourhood stressors. For example, uh, crime rates uh, around the neighbourhood that you uh, that you that you're actually living, and uh, we know that. As I said, like living in a disadvantaged area could impact uh, mental health. And there could be as well a non-causal relationship on this that, you know, people with adverse mental health or with mental disorders could, uh, due to social drift, start moving to more and relocate more to disadvantaged areas as well. So what uh, one of the recent studies we did here at the Institute in collaboration with the University College London is that we followed individuals from birth and over a 70-year period, and there we observed a link between neighborhood deprivation and mental health. And we found that residents in uh, two main findings of the study was like residents in disadvantaged areas in in childhood was associated with uh, with uh, poorer mental health outcomes over the life course, and also more importantly, I think what we find most interesting is that people that they, in this particular study that they were residing in um, more uh, residing or moving into more disadvantaged areas, we observed a link with with poorer mental health in in adulthood as well. And uh, just to say that this study utilised a birth cohort, a UK birth cohort, so we follow participants from birth until they're 70 years uh, of age.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. Honestly, I know you talked about the neighborhoods and how the more deprived communities had higher chance of having a mental health issue. And there are certain aspects uh, which I believe are called neighborhood perceptions. And I believe there were some findings that people who perceived that their neighborhood crime rate was higher or that they didn't have support or a sense of community actually had a higher chance of suffering from a mental health problem.
1: There is this aspect of, as you see, of perceived perceived neighborhood disorder, and uh, in the past uh, there is a 2018 study that has linked that with with common mental common mental disorders. I think it's it's important. I mean, like one one of the aspects is like I mean, we know that nature, for example, is beneficial for the for mental health, Mm -hmm. and walking to a park might be beneficial for your mental health. But if you don't feel safe in the park, maybe it's mm. not uh, you know it's not very good is not it's not very good for the for, for, for the mental well-being mm-hmm. so in this study how um, so this was contacted between uh, Southwark and Lambeth and um, how the participants of the study perceived their neighborhood actually was linked with with their uh, common mental disorders and especially in more income deprived areas within these uh, boroughs and interestingly in that study they haven't observed the researchers any associations between actual crime rates so in mm-hmm in relation to mental health. So from what is telling us that, the, that this uh, urban environments are quite complex, what we perceive as neighborhood desorbs of more perceive as, let's say, a noisy neighborhood or a polluted neighborhood might influence our mental health, but uh, also might not exactly correlate with what is the actual objective kind of metrics we have regarding, uh, for example, air pollution or noise pollution, or as I said, regarding the crime rates of the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, but it's still so interesting how powerful our perception is and how we interpret a thing. So for example, like you said, if someone is walking in the park and they perceive the park to be dangerous even though there's nature all around, then it, it's not going to do the trick. So the way we actually see our world is is so important in in its context. Now, let's move on uh to the other aspect of urbanicity which you already mentioned quite briefly. Uh, Which is obviously pollution. And this one's quite self explanatory. We know that air pollution impacts climate change. And in fact, it's one of the biggest contributors to climate change. But how many of us actually think about our mental health? So, I mean, I was personally very intrigued by this. And like you mentioned, you know, when we think about our physical health, then maybe, yeah, we know it impacts our lungs or skin, hair, maybe, but it also does to the brain, which, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about. But from your studies, you talk about different forms of pollution, such as air, traffic, and noise. So I want to start off with air pollutions as I believe it has the most profound impact. Now, what are the different types of air pollutants? For example, you know, particulate matter or nitrogen oxide. And where do these um, pollutants actually come from? And I know this may sound a little bit too technical or going into too much detail, uh, but I personally think we should be conscious of these things in our environment and just realize the danger that they actually have on us, even even mentally.
1: I fully agree. So as you mentioned, primary air pollutants are typically released from mobile sources, for example, uh, from exhaust fumes from vehicles or from it could be from stationary sources um for example let's say from emissions from uh, factories or from uh, uh, from household activities and also I mean, uh, domestic activities such as uh, coal and wood cooking and heating so there is a different uh, type of uh, ways of um, how we are how um, how pollution is been formed in the atmosphere and also we have secondary air pollutions that uh, they formed in the atmosphere through chemical uh, reactions and in urban um, environments, in cities, uh, we are interested in, uh, mainly in relation to traffic-related air pollution because this is the main source of poor outdoor air quality in cities, and it is the main driver of air pollution. So, typically, how uh, how mo- how majority of the studies uh, measure traffic-related air pollution is from a different type of combination of uh, particles, which could be small particulate matter, as you mentioned, which could be very uh, coarse, uh, which could be coarse particulate matter, of, or, or a very small particulate matter, and we measure that with the diameters of the particles that we observe. Mm-hmm. For example, we have the PM 2.5, or with uh, with gases that we have in the atmosphere, and this is more related to vehicle-related traffic-related uh, air pollution, which would be, for example, nitrogen uh, dioxide. And the exhaustions from that majority of the studies will uh, will look at uh, these different types of pollutants of course uh, we have other pollutants such as particular metals that they could come from the, the brakes cars will create when they are uh, next to a traffic light and mm-hmm. so on so uh, it's it's a quite a variable way of looking at that but uh, what is important to mention here is the main Pollutants nowadays that we're trying to regulate, let's say what, let's say the World Health Organization is trying to regulate, or let's say the European Union is trying to uh, to regulate, is in relation to a very small particular matter and to nitrogen dioxide. Uh, this would be usually the ones that are heavily being trying to uh, work and reduced in terms of policy recommendations.
0: Yeah, well. I mean, we know that these pollutants exist, obviously, like you said, we measure them. But how do we know that these pollutants are actually associated with mental disorder? I mean, are there any studies which show higher levels of air pollution linked with mental health problems?
1: So there, there is there is studies that we, which they have in recent decade where air pollution has been associated and not not only correlated with uh, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with mental health and uh, and this is over the life course. So for example, it's been associated with IQ deficits in teenagers. Uh, with incidence of uh, neurodevelopment conditions such as uh, autism spectrum disorders and attention-deficit hyperactivity disorders in children and adolescents, with psychiatric disorders such as depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety, and also more in later life with uh, uh, neurodegenerative conditions such as uh, dementia and Parkinson's disease. Also, I would like to mention that this is this is not only a correlation. We have um, we have evidence for biological mechanisms Mm -hmm. in relation to that. For example, uh, one example of that is that air pollution pollutant could actually be inhaled from uh, the from the nose. It could, let's say, reach the respiratory system, and then it could cause a systemic inflammation, which could cause a neuroinflammation in the brain, and this could. Uh, and neuroinflammation uh, has been uh, linked, for example, with the increase of incidence of psychiatric conditions such as depression and anxiety, or it could be directly being transallocated to uh, to the brain, and through these pathways could cause. Like, and neuroinflammation so it's not exactly causation but there is some experimental studies mainly which were been conducted in animals as well that they have uh, shown some evidence of biological uh, of uh, some evidence of mach- mechanisms around air pollution and mental health and moving more towards to uh, moving towards uh, to the group that we have Contacted with uh, within our group. Mm-hmm. For example, in 2020, we uh, have conducted a study. When we look at the incidence of uh, the incidence of um, uh, of uh, where we saw the association between air pollution and the incidence of common mental disorders. So, in this study, we found that adults that were exposed to high levels of traffic-related air pollution mm-hmm. uh, were more likely to experience common mental disorders such as anxiety and um, and mild depression. Uh, And the study was conducted in over 1,600 participants in southeast London. Um, and this was conducted within Southwark and Lambeth, where, where the institute is actually being based, the Institute of Psychology, S- Psychiatry and Neuroscience. And we assessed the participants for, um, uh, for common mental disorders as well as psychotic experiences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we found that even small increases in particular matter and nitrogen dioxide c- increased the odds of common mental disorders by uh, 18% and 39%, wow. which is quite substantial increases.
0: Wow. Personally, I'm also someone who is extremely sound sensitive, and I know that you did research into noise pollution as well. And as someone who's, you know, very sound sensitive, I can also confirm that hearing things like construction or just any kind of, you know, nerves disturbance really, really creates severe stress levels in me. And, you know, I immediately just want to escape and my flight mode kind of kicks in. So what do we currently know about noise pollution and its relation to um mental health as well Noise is is a
1: is a, a quite in, um, uh, important important aspect on um, on on mental health I think at, at least it's considered that uh, we um <clears throat> We have a large body of evidence which um, identifies, which are related, we try to relate environmental noise in relation to mental health. Uh, however, still, I think um, the consensus is like uh, the area in relation to noise and mental health, there, there, there is still um, some poor quality studies of mm-hmm. many outcomes. And this was actually uh, being identified from a recent uh, systematic review that was published uh, These years, uh, and we have to be honest, mixed evidence between mental health, well-being, and quality of life in relation to noise and um, and mental health. For example, in uh, in, uh, in in one of the studies uh, that I mentioned in the above mentioned studies, we also uh, explored uh, the effects of noise uh, in relation to common mental disorders. Uh, however, I mean for the particular uh, population based sample that we had within the and Columbia, we didn't observe any associations between noise pollution, mm. traffic-related noise pollution, uh, and uh, and mental health. And as you said, um, there is some uh, hypotheses and mechanisms. For example, nine-time noise could disturb this, your sleep, uh, which could um, affect, let's say, your mental well-being and your mental health in, in general. Aircraft noise as well is a quite an important a topic nowadays, and we see some links with more like kind of cardiovascular health as well. Uh, but but I think there needs more uh, research uh, on uh, on that uh, topic to have more uh, conclusive evidence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, perhaps the general population it won't have as severe impact. But I know personally a couple of people like me who are who have misophonia who are very very sound sensitive. Um, And, and it impacts them a lot. And I wonder, I know perhaps this isn't your level of expertise, but if we have any findings to show that it impact people who are more sensitive to noise.
1: I'm not an expert on, uh, on, uh, on uh, misophonia as well. And I, I think it's more about this are more, I mean, what, what I can say, I mean, like, yes, I mean, vulnerability of individuals is a quite an important uh, aspect uh, of that. But uh, the, the studies that I can, I'm currently mentioning is more about studies that they're, uh, they're measuring noise level at, um, at, at a kind of a neighborhood uh, level and um uh, and from the service that we have contacted uh is not particularly tailored to uh particular sensitive for example individuals to uh, to noise as well as I know scales around that that topic as well are not very well uh, developed i mm-hmm. mean the how much sensitivity in noise there is, so I think that's another area of research as well
0: yes, perhaps uh, another future um thing yes. that we can look at for sure. So um, by 2050, urban air pollution is going to become the biggest environmental cause of mortality ahead of poor sanitation and dirty drinking water. Do you think we're doing enough to address this issue? I think that's comp- Compared
1: uh, to uh, um, what has been done mm-hmm. in the previous years, I think there is an improvement. Uh, I mean, we can trace that there is an improvement in terms of um, the air quality that we have, for example, here in London as well, and in other in other cities in the world. So, mm-hmm. uh, as an issue, has been increasingly been more recognized um, over the the past years. Um, are we doing enough? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. I think there is there is some actions towards the uh, the right direction. But uh, definitely, we need uh, we need a more special attention to more innovative uh, measures to improve air quality. Um, for example, one, one, one bold measure that we have uh, within uh, within London is the introduction of the uh, ultra low emission zones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have that the, the, that we have the expansion this year. So the ultra low emission zone was introduced in London in two thousand and nineteen. So these are uh, um, uh, for um, uh, for the, for the audience like these are type of city wide interventions which are aimed to improve um, air quality. And uh, what they request is uh, that uh, vehicles need to have a specific emission standards in order to enter an area. If they don't have these emission standards, they need to pay to pay a fine. And now all uh, Greater London is within this kind of ultra low emission zone. And from the introduction of the ultra low emission zones in 2019, we have always, already seen a reduction of let's say 44% in nitrogen dioxide. On that, so this is a measure that seems that it works in terms of uh, in terms of reduction of um, uh, of air pollution on uh, on that aspect uh, mm. and i think this type of bold measures are needed to be implemented more widely Absolutely. Um, in in europe and worldwide uh, and as well i mean like i could i could we can go even further um, i mean there there is like from from other from an urban planning perspective, uh, there is like um, visions of cities where there is a ban on cars altogether, like more carless visions of cities, and these are schemes that are trying to be implemented in Milan or in Copenhagen um, and across uh, and across Europe uh, as well. So I think there is uh, there is ways, but we need to be uh, more bold about tackling this issues.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more with you. And like you said, it's if we pay attention, it's mostly obviously the developed countries due to the resources, but uh, it would be amazing if it starts being more implemented on a global level, which I hope that's what we're moving towards. Right. So we talked a bit about our urban environment and obviously the benefits are there, but what are the dangers to it? But what do we actually know about rural environments on our mental health and how important is it as it's getting less and less every year,
1: I, I think. I mean, like in terms of um, of rural environments. I mean, um, I mean, like we can see it in terms of the uh, in terms of the kind of a, a reverse way of looking uh, into things. As I said, there is specific reasons why we're moving into cities mm-hmm. and why we're choosing why, why not everybody, but why why a, a, a big a big percentage of the global population is is choosing cities over more uh, over more uh, rural environments. Yes, and, and a rural environment, obviously. The, um, it's more beneficial in terms of uh, of uh, better air quality that you will that you will get in specific areas which are not actually surrounded by by industrial sites. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, you might have the opportunities in rural environments to have more access to uh, to green spaces as well. Uh, so there could be some beneficial aspects on that in relation uh, in relation to mental health. But I think it's more about we need to think how we can improve both sides of the story. Than actually, you know, like have this comparison between urban versus rural. So, uh, if you know, like, if people are choosing to have urban environments, we need to find ways to how to make them uh, healthier, and and vice versa. I mean, with rural environments, we need to find ways to make them more, uh, more, uh, more accessible, for example, and with more amenities, uh, in order to have a kind of a more equal uh, distribution of the things, which could actually have um, and which could have which could actually affect our. Menu. Health as well in certain
0: aspects. Absolutely agree. It's basically we want to have the best of both worlds, right? <laughs> in into one. So, um, in in line with that, I actually want to talk about one of your projects, and I believe you are in the you know core team of this project or uh, this mobile application, which is called the Urban Mind app. Uh, and I'm very excited to talk about this app. And for those listening. It's basically a project that involves the development and the use of, you know, smartphone technologies like your iPhone or your Huawei phone (laughs) to monitor the impact of the surrounding physical and social environment on population mental health, but in real time, which will be a very important aspect of it. I think it's an incredibly amazing app and I'll share the link um, to the website and in my description box below for you to check out. But uh, Dr. Bakos, why don't you start by kind of walking us through this project? How did it come into existence? And then more importantly, what the application consists of? So basically, what would people find if they want to use it?
1: Um, so this is um, this is a project that is uh, um, uh, that is led by uh, professor andromemy Kelly who is based in the, psychos- the, the psychosis department at the Institute of psychiatric psychology in uh, neuroscience so uh, as you mentioned this is this is a smartphone app people could download it from any um, Apple store or um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, google uh, Google store and uh, in this in in this app um, in the in the second version now in the most latest version of the app and it has Taken different forms since the since the conceptualization of the uh, of the project, we um, um, participants who are downloading the app they have been uh, they, they 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 fill a baseline uh, kind type of questionnaire when they fill all their details in relation to their um, to their environment their mental well being and then uh, they will receive for a course of two weeks uh, specific prompts um, in their um, mobile application uh, which they were a questions about um, about their indoor or the outdoor environment so for example if they are indoors if there is a window around mm-hmm. around them or if they are outdoors for example if they are, if they are close to a park if they are uh, if they are hearing birds singing and so on and also theres there is some questions around about their momentary uh, mental well-being at that at that point and, and also as part of the app um, um, we um, from people that they are actually are giving us Access uh, they're the giving access to the research, and uh, the, we we can actually have some passive monitoring data on on this. For example, we we uh, we, we, we could link, for example, uh, um, the uh, the information that we have with here with the app with more kind of objective measures of um, air pollution. For example, this is a study that we are actually currently uh, contacting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there is, um, I mean, one of the first studies what what we what we see what we saw with uh, with urban mind we looked at the uh, we we observed some um, um potential benefits of uh, being in contact with nature um and for example, uh, and in relation to uh, momentary mental well-being, in, in when we measure mental well-being in real time, mm-hmm. uh, and also most, uh, more importantly, uh, we, we saw that we, we observed this, uh, this uh, that these effects were more pronounced for people that they had a pre-existing uh, mental condition as well. I think that was one of the main findings. And, and now we are in the process of uh, of more research to get out from um, uh, from that work, where uh, there are different studies is looking at social aspects and environmental aspects so one of the studies that I'm involved is we are uh, looking of course with uh, with other members of the team mm-hmm. on um, the impact of, um, of short term exposure to air pollution with uh, moment, with mental well-being in in real time, so in that in that cases, we're trying to see if um, um, air pollution during how you're going about in your everyday life is affecting your uh, mental uh, your mental well-being. So it's a quite different aspect in in comparison to long-term air pollution.
0: Yeah i I honestly think it's just such a cool and unique application, and I think it's done in such a clever way to basically capture the importance of our environment, as well as on our mental health, there's a particular feature on your website, uh, on the app's website. And for those who are interested, it's just www.urbanmind.info that I absolutely love. And it's the image section. So like you said, the application requests you to take an image like um, of your, I think it's of the floor, so of your surroundings. And basically on the website, you can go there and see all the images that people have posted of the ground. Um, But what is cool is that, it's on the website, it's broken down into categories, like when people feel like confident, anxious, and sad. So there's these different categories. And then when you click on, for example, confident, you can see these beautiful images of nature and water and just like beautiful spaces. And then funnily, when you click on something like anxious, it's usually the pictures that people took are usually quite bleak. So again, it just comes to show how important are surrounding it. and you know i think we need to apply this in everyday life we always need to be sure where we're studying or working or whatever to really create like a nice and beautiful calm and environment and a space for us to have so um so dr Barcos, what is the initial goal of the urban mind app though like what now that we have you know now that you have such rich data What are the results hoping to achieve or are you hoping for future interventions with the data set that you currently have?
1: Um, so for, for, for start I'm just saying that urban mine is the is the perfect example of how um, how interdisciplinary research could actually have a very good outcome because I don't mm-hmm. want to take the credit I'm, uh, I'm I'm part of the team but I'm supporting in specific aspects as well of the mm-hmm. uh, of the urban mind but this is a uh, collaborative work between um, uh, between artists and architects of and course. researchers so it's uh, uh, it's it's a team um, uh, it's a team effort on, on that and and of course I mean it is a citizen science project so uh, the the existence of the urban mind is is actually relating to the uh to how how the people are actually downloading and uh, using the the app uh, the initial uh, the initial conception of uh of uh, the herbal Mine, i think it was more about in relation to how we can improve um our um our environment either our indoor or outdoor environments but i think after the original um inception this takes on so much, it took us to so many different places and into do, do do show different many um, uh, um, future research uh, uh, projects. So as I'm saying that, like I, I don't want, I, I would like to talk about future research when is actually uh, when is actually out. But uh, there is a quite important studies that we're actually involved on uh, on more like social and environmental aspects of um, um, in relation to mental well being and beyond.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to um, see the future research in in this particular field, and I again highly highly recommend for you to for people to download the app and and check it out. Um, I could you know definitely stay here and and, and talk to you forever, but uh, I know your time is limited. So as a final question, I want to ask you two things. Actually, the first question is. Is there something that we could do on a day-to-day basis uh, to take part in reducing some of these problems of built-in environmental impacts? And then the second question is, what is next for you in this field in terms of potential studies or implications for the future?
1: Yes, that's both um, well, very good questions. So um, uh, I think the first question what we can do um, as individuals, uh, I think that, uh, as I mentioned, um, the implications of the studies that we kind of touched upon um, uh, in the previous like uh, 45 minutes. Uh, I, th- I think there's like, it's that kind of policy, cha- policy changes, which we can all affect as, uh, as individuals. So we can uh, you know, like push our, uh, our local councils, we can push our local MPs mm-hmm. um, locally and globally, and we can bring these matters more uh, into uh, recognition as well and uh from 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 th- from the that side of of um of the uh, of the coin and i think um, in terms of I me mean, like as our research um, as as our our implications from the research especially in relation to what we're considering around air pollution uh, and mental health but wider around urbanicity as well is more about engaging and uh, informing you know like communities around around this issues and highlighting the actual mm-hmm. problems that uh, we are facing. And uh, we saw from research that especially um, vulnerable communities, uh, communities of specific ethnic background or communities mm-hmm. of lower socioeconomic status, are the communities which are more impacted by uh, these issues, but they are the communities that they have the least saying on this. So we need yeah. to change and revert that for uh, for uh, definitely in that aspect. Uh, I think another implication I mean in terms of the individuals um there, there there could be you know like some small kind of everyday interventions we can all do you know we can avoid um, major roads uh, we can use you know like different routes to go to to work we can, uh, we, can we can we can cycle more we can use uh, more uh, green spaces uh, we can incorporate more uh, using more green spaces in our everyday life so there are some kind of small uh, lifestyle interventions with which mm-hmm. we can do and uh, I mean I don't know I mean if we are uh, you know I, I always saying that that one other implications of our, of our work could be in terms of clinicians so so for example if you if you go here in in the UK in uh, in a general practitioner and you are having um, uh, asthma if you're severe asthmatic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and you ask about some advice um the gp will give you a treatment uh, and will uh, probably give you medicine to use which will obviously improve your condition but there's not going to discuss around let's say the environment around you yeah. uh, things that they might exacerbate for example your asthma symptoms and in this analogy you know like maybe the, the psychiatrist or the clinical psychologist or the psychologist in general could actually work in these terms that we need to be more aware that we there is not only uh, Stressors, which has to do with our genes or our our um, or our individual type of um, choices, lifestyle choices, but there are kind of more environmental stressors that they are related uh, that they are related around us, and we need to um, and we need to think more closely uh, around uh, this uh, this issue. Very interesting.
0: And
1: And I think you mentioned something about future studies. Um, Yes. I I would say that one of the future studies that definitely, I mean, like we are currently uh, undertaking at the moment is the evaluation of the ultra low emission zones here in London. Mm -hmm. And not only in relation to physical health, but in relation to uh, mental health trajectories as well. And that's a quite uh, important aspect because we would like to know not only if uh, we are reducing, let's say, pollution levels in cities, but we would like to know if this has an impact on uh, on population mental health and uh, and if we can track that. Over um, uh, over time, uh, and also think what, what is the gaps in the literature is that we are needing more 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 uh, kind of um, studies that they're following uh, individuals uh, across their life course. Uh, so we know we, we would like to uh, know more about what is the sensitive periods between mm-hmm. let's say if we're looking at air pollution and mental health is it for example early life exposure of air pollution that is important is it more like kind of midlife exposure to air pollution uh, and wh- what is the more sensitive periods that this um, that this could appear and this could have an impact on mental health uh, and as well in regards to mechanisms and mm-hmm. um, I said that there are some plausible mechanisms around that, but this still is an active area of research, and still we need more studies looking at what is the mechanistic basis um, around the association between air pollution and mental health, and urbanization in general.
0: Wow, yes. Dr. Bracoles, thank you so much once again for being a part of this episode. I genuinely enjoyed listening to you so much. And thank you for sharing such amazing and valuable information with us. I wish you the best of luck with all of your future research.
1: Thank you very much. It will be a real pleasure to uh, to talk to you.
0: Thank you, everyone else. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening as well. We'll catch you next time.